Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame. Join us and embrace the thrill, excitement, and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed, and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi, and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college football. Is the SEC in trouble? Colorado, Duke, and Florida State earned big wins and late covers. And I'm not just talking about an everyday bad beat. Plus, what's with this new clock rule? Welcome to the heartbeat of college football. Blake Biscardi and David Wertheim with you for the 42nd episode of the Saturday Cadence podcast, part of the Silver Bulletin Network. David, what a week one that we had. You know, there was a lot of great games, but just on our coverage as well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We had over 400,000 views in our week one coverage, which is a tremendous week. We're going to keep bringing that to you on all of our platforms. And David, I know we've got another big week coming up here. How are you feeling? What were your takeaways from week one here? Man, it's just good to have college football back. And it certainly didn't disappoint in week one. Obviously, had that awesome Colorado game on Saturday. Uh, and it really, you know, momentum was pretty strong throughout the weekend. Had Florida State LSU on Sunday. And then, of course, Duke taking down Clemson on Monday night. So it was an excellent weekend of college football all the way around. And, you know, we missed it for so long. It's finally back. Got another couple big games this week. And, you know, we're rolling here. We are rolling. We absolutely are. I don't know which game I want to start with when I was making the show notes because Duke's huge win over Clemson, you know, 28 to seven Florida state. How about the Seminoles and the job that Mike Norvell has done. And then Colorado, I think we have to start with Deion Sanders and coach prime and what he was able to do overhauling the roster with over 50 new transfers that are on scholarship plus others. I think the number is close to 70. What a job that he's done. We didn't know what Colorado was going to look like. And then all of a sudden they came out, great skill position players, elite quarterback play, and they've got a good head coach, and they stunned TCU in Fort Worth. What was your reaction watching that game? You know, honestly, I wasn't too surprised. I know on the show last week we picked Colorado to cover. I also picked them on FanDuel, so, you know, nice. Um, but, yeah, great for Dion. Awesome win for the program. Shador Sanders just absolutely lighting it up. His receivers, Jimmy Horn, then getting the gang looked awesome. Uh, running game was strong defensively. They got done what they needed to get done. And, you know, TCU lost 33 players or something like that in the offseason. So, you know, not the same TCU team that we saw a year ago. And that certainly looked to be the case in week one. Might be a step back for Sonny Dykes and company here in year two. Uh, but nonetheless, a great win for Colorado. And, and we'll discuss later. They'll look to keep it rolling against uh, Nebraska this weekend. Yeah, they absolutely will. So before we hop into that, let's just pop right back for a second. Duke beat Clemson. Your reaction to that game, because, you know, we were back and forth. You had Clemson, I had Duke. 
we both thought Clemson was going to win the game, but I, I thought Duke was better than people thought this year. And this whole Garrett Riley coming in as the offensive coordinator, we thought Clemson was going to be good. And that was going to hit the ground rolling with Cade Klubnik because all we were told last year is DJU is the problem. He regressed as a quarterback. Well, DJU is not there anymore and he can't get blamed for it. So is this a Debo Sweeney problem? Is this Clemson is taking a step back as a program because they didn't adapt to the transfer portal and the NIL era of the sport, which we've seen Florida State and Colorado and Texas State all take advantage of. What do you think the biggest problem is with Clemson after what we saw on Monday night? Because now they've lost three of their last four games. Yeah, they have lost three of their last four. And we, we tweeted the stat on the Silver Bulletin account. Uh, Dabo, you know, famously rank, or infamously ranked Ohio State 11th in the coaches poll there at the end of the 2020-2021 season, right before the two teams played in the college football playoff. Of course, Ohio State went on to win that game big. And including that game, Dabo is now 21-8 and eight in his last 29 games, which, you know, most programs would take that. But Clemson certainly is, is disappointed in those results. Saw a couple of quotes over the weekend. One, I think Dabo said something like, we brought in Garrett Riley to run the Clemson offense. And, you know, I saw Clemson fans being pretty upset about that quote, right? Like, why wouldn't you give the guy the freedom to operate his own offense with the players that Dabo has brought in? Five-star quarterback, excellent skill players, five-star running back, Will Shipley, Phil Moffa also there, um, Bo Collins out of wide receiver. They've got a good offensive line. So on paper, it makes a lot of sense, right? Why wouldn't you just let Garrett Riley run his own offense? And then I saw the, the typical message board chatter about how Clemson doesn't have any dogs on the roster, you know. And we've heard that before, right? As Ohio State fans, we even heard that, you know, the past several years. Ohio State needs more dogs. Clemson needs more dogs. And I think in this case, it kind of makes sense, right? They didn't play with a ton of energy. They kind of came out flat. They were flat the whole game. Their one touchdown was really handed to them after the Duke turnover. And, yeah, I think it was a really disappointing effort by Clemson, especially to open the season like that at Duke primetime Monday night. You know, you want to get up for that game. And, and they really, really just laid an egg. So I think Clemson's in trouble here. You know, their schedule isn't really easy. They got Notre Dame. They got uh, Florida State. Uh, they got both Carolinas. So it doesn't get any easier for them. And, and we'll see how it goes here down the stretch the rest of the way for Clemson. But I think they're in trouble. The biggest takeaway from that game for me was everything you just said but I want to highlight the three drives they had inside the 10-yard line. They got the ball to Duke's one, four, and seven-yard line. And do you know how many points they came away with on those drives? Zero. Zero. That yeah. is a problem. Exactly what we were talking about for all the same reasons that you said. And you mentioned that game with Florida State coming up, when we can use this to pivot into the Seminoles. That game was more important for Florida State before the season started because – we looked at them and we said, all right, they have to play LSU first, and then they go to Clemson. They've got to win one of those games. Well, now Florida State's won that first game, and Clemson laid an egg. So now Florida State's probably going to be favored against Clemson, and the Tigers are at home. Home dogs to Florida State, a team that's not beaten you in quite some time. And if the Seminoles can go into Death Valley and walk away with a win, I think you might have to start sounding some Debo Sweeney alarms or something, something will have to give if Clemson loses that game at home. So now the importance of that game has shifted from Florida State back to Clemson because their backs are the ones against the wall now. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, Clemson's been the class of the ACC since Florida State won that national championship, really, there. 2013, 2014 was kind of the rise of Clemson and the downfall of Florida State. 
seems like the tides are, are trending back towards the Seminoles. Like you said in the open, Mike Norvell has done an excellent job with that program. And this is a big statement win for them. Big win over LSU. You know, they, they, they outclassed Brian Kelly and the Tigers over the weekend. And they'll have the chance to do the same thing against Clemson. And, yeah, that one's going to go a long way. I, I'm certainly not ready to write off Dabo just yet. Uh, I think, you know, the pedigree is there. As, as I always say, you play to the back of your baseball card, and Dabo's won a lot of games and a lot of years. So not really ready to write them off just yet. But, yeah, I think that the trend has certainly shifted away from, you know, can Florida State win this game to can Clemson win this game? Are the Tigers, you know, for real this year? Or is it another lost season down there in Clemson? And, and I think this game coming up in a couple of weeks will, will be a real determining factor of that. Well, when you look at a team like Florida State, you know, coming into the year, we saw them add those transfers. We know Jordan Travis was back. We've talked about on this show how good their offensive line is with all the 212 combined starts. That experience doesn't always translate to ability. But in Florida State's case, we knew that it was going to. And then the defensive line led by Jared Verse, who's one of the top edge rushers, if not the best edge rusher in the entire country. So Florida State has all the ingredients you need to be an elite team. And I don't want to crown them as the week one national champion or anything like that yet. But what I can do is after that performance that we saw in the second half, 31 straight points unanswered by the Seminoles, they just bullied LSU for really the last 20, 22 minutes of that football game and walked away with a commanding victory. So I'm comfortable certifying Florida State as a playoff contender right now. We thought that they were an ACC contender, and then we were going to see how they looked against LSU to see if that was legit, and then wait until the Clemson game to see if they really were an ACC contender. But I think after watching them, I'm comfortable certifying them as a playoff contending team right now because they have great play on the line of scrimmage. They have solid wide receivers. How about Keon Coleman, transfer from Michigan State? What a day he had. They have a Heisman caliber quarterback. They have all the pieces together. And I think now they're the team in the ACC that everyone's going to start chasing. But again, they've got to go out and beat Clemson. Like you said, the Tigers have been the class of the ACC. Clemson has to host Florida State. The Knowles win that game. Everyone's now chasing them. And I think there becomes an argument for Florida State to move up in the polls even further if they can get that win in Death Valley. No, I totally agree. And, you know, I said it last week on the show, I wasn't sold on LSU. I think that still holds true. It didn't look great, especially in the second half, like you said, 31 straight unanswered points for Florida State. But, yeah, it's still a big win nonetheless. It's one you have to win if you want to solidify yourself as a real contender. And for Mike Norvell, it's just big because, you know, he's been working hard to bring Florida State back. They went through a couple of coaching changes that didn't really work out, a couple of lost seasons in Tallahassee. And, you know, college football is is better when Florida State is good. Uh, so if the Knowles are able to kind of go back up to Death Valley and, you know, recapture that magic against Clemson, it'll be it'll be a huge statement, not only for their program, but for the conference as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And we'll see in a couple of weeks just what they do. They've got to follow that performance up, and I have confidence that they can. But then let's just look real quick back into Boulder. So Florida State captures that huge win, and you would think that that would be the storyline of the weekend. We've got Alabama-Texas coming up this Saturday. You would think that the college football world is going to be centered around Tuscaloosa. Well, Deion Sanders thought otherwise, because everyone's looking at Boulder this week. Colorado won. They're ranked, and they host Nebraska. Can the Buffaloes follow up that performance? They're now favored in that ballgame. They were 20 
one-point underdogs to TCU. Now, all of a sudden, they've won that game. They're favored against Nebraska. We don't need to give our picks away here yet. But when you're looking at what Colorado has on paper, I think Travis Hunter, we could make the argument that he might be the best or second-best non-quarterback player in the country, I guess behind Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that's fair. I saw a lot of comps over the weekend saying, if it's a 50-50 ball and you got Marv on Travis Hunter, who's coming down with it? Personally, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. does. But the class that Travis Hunter is in, playing 147 snaps, that's unheard of as a two-way player. The last ones we really had were Chris Gamble for Ohio State and Charles Woodson for Michigan. So what Colorado was able to do on Saturday is nothing short of impressive. Yeah, I remember, and I'm sure you do too, the Jabril Peppers hype from a few years ago in Michigan. Oh, he's playing all these different positions, this and that. But you look at Travis Hunter, it's a little bit different, right? Jabril Peppers, yeah, he returned some kicks, returned some punts, played safety, a little bit of linebacker, some corner. But it's nothing like what Travis Hunter is doing. I mean, he is playing both sides of the ball, every snap, and making a huge impact on both sides of the ball. Knocking down passes, getting his hands on balls, interceptions. You know, offense, he's, he's catching everything thrown his way, burning guys down the field, running elite routes. You know, it's pretty remarkable, and I'm pretty confident they're going to take care of Nebraska this weekend. Huskers didn't look great against Minnesota, 13-10 to 10 loss, not exactly what you want uh, from your offense there week one under Matt Rule. A little bit disappointing, I think, for uh, Jeff Sims coming in from Georgia Tech, uh, who I really like. I like Jeff Sims. I think he's a good quarterback, but certainly not the way you want to open the Matt Rule tenure there on the road at Minnesota. And you know, I think for uh, for Colorado, it's all about keeping the momentum rolling and, uh, you know, making a statement at home now, like, hey, we're for real. We beat TCU. We beat Nebraska, two power five teams. You know, very important statement win coming up this weekend if they can get it done. Absolutely. And not to discount other great play from the Buffaloes, we had Dylan Edwards have four touchdowns, three on the ground and one through the air, and Shador Sanders, Deion Sun, threw for 510 yards, set a school record in his first game. I mean, the athletes and the playmakers that Colorado has gives them the ingredients to do this. And we now know that the transfer portal experiment works. So we'll talk a little bit more about Colorado when we get to the picks. So we save a little bit of our content there. And let's move into Tuscaloosa now. Alabama is hosting Texas. This is the game where you evaluate Jalen Milrow. Is he legitimate as a quarterback at Alabama? We saw what he did against Middle Tennessee, which mostly anybody could do at that level. We know he's a good runner. We're going to find out, can he lead a team to victory against a really difficult opponent? I know we saw him last year in a couple games in Bryce Young's absence. But this is a different Texas team. They added some nice people from the portal. They've got a solid offense. Quinn Ewers is going to come in there. And if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to play the full game. I know he missed last year, and Texas probably should have won it. This is a really big matchup, and it's really important, I think, for both Alabama and Texas. No, I totally agree. I think last year, Texas probably wins that game if, you know, Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt. And, and this is probably it for Quinn Ewers, right? His third year in college and probably off to the NFL in a stacked quarterback class next year. So this is going to be a big game for Texas, big game for Alabama, too, like you said with Milrow. But for Texas, you know, last several years, are they back? Are they not? Are they back? Are they not? Haven't been back yet trying to get there this year in a, in a Big 12 that is up for grabs, especially with, you know, TCU going down over the weekend last year in the Big 12 for Texas. Um, so I think this is a big game for both sides, and I think it'll, you know, live up to the game of the week expectations that everybody's putting on it. Yeah, I absolutely think so, too. And I'm really excited to see Quinn Ewers play in Tuscaloosa and see what he can do. 
in that raucous road environment, night game, there's all the lights in college football will be on Tuscaloosa. It's going to be the standalone game pretty much because the slate's pretty weak outside of Alabama, Texas. There's a couple decent games, but that's going to be the headlining matchup. So we'll get to that in a minute when we go pick it. But David, as I was watching college football last week, it was hard to not take notice of this new clock rule. You had Chip Kelly make a comment at his halftime interview saying, you know, this game moves fast. You had four possessions in the first half. I hope you're selling a lot of commercials. And then you see a stat come out saying for the Ohio State and Indiana game, the Buckeyes had 17 possessions against the Hoosiers last year, and they only had 10 this year. So I know a lot of that's game flow and planning and execution. And Indiana, all they want to do is run the football. But I don't like that they're messing with college football in this way because college football is not broken. I don't know why we're trying to fix it. I know the player safety rules, and we absolutely are pro anything that is safer for the players. I don't want to mix those two. Anything that is provides a safer playing environment for the players is good. But giving them four to six less plays per quarter or per half and turning this into the NFL light, let your Sunday football be Sunday football and your Saturday football be Saturday football because that's what makes college football so special. This is one of those rules that differentiates the two days of college football and the two sports. What do you think about the I think it's disappointing. I think it's disappointing. I think, uh, you know, not only does it rob the fans of some experience, but it robs the players of some experience. You know, let's say, for example, Ohio State and Indiana. Let's say Ohio State gets, you know, 12 more plays. They score 10 more points. They're up by 30. You know, now maybe you put in the back cuts instead of making the starters play the whole game. So, you know, you're not only robbing the fans of some game experience and game time, you know, quality TV viewing and whatnot, but you're robbing the players too. That's just less plays that they have to go around. And, you know, your eligibility clock starts the first snap you get and it ends on the last one. And now you're robbing, you know, players of, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but even if it's, you know, five, 10% of snaps, it's a significant amount. That's hundreds of snaps over their careers that they're going to be losing. And it hurts not only the on-field product, but it also hurts, you know, the tape that they might get for the NFL, for example. It, there's just no real positive that comes out of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's really interesting, too. Like you mentioned, Ohio State. They're having that battle with McCord and Devin Brown. So if they do get the 10 extra points, like you said, if they get that extra possession, is there now more time to see Devin Brown and get more meaningful reps? You know, let's just to your point. You can ask all these what-if questions. And now the coaches will have to adjust to it. I think it took a couple by surprise. And then other teams can now take advantage of it, like in Indiana, when they know they're overmatched talent-wise. They're like, okay, let's just come out and run the football the whole game. And that was pretty much what they did. I think they threw, what, nine passes? And they had 28 minutes of possession and 153 yards to show for it. I mean, what are we doing? at that point in time. But another funny thing too, and I was watching the clock, six seconds is left in the Penn State game and they score a touchdown. It was just kind of funny to me that Penn State got the ball back. West Virginia scored that late touchdown in garbage time. We thought, all right, Penn State gets the ball back, just going to run the clock out. It almost looked like that the Penn State coaching staff had the over there because that late touchdown cashed Penn State covering the spread of 20 and a half and then also the over. Well, you got to make these games look as good as you can, and you know every point helps. We've we've said it ourselves. We wish Ryan Day would do something like that sometimes at Ohio State, kind of run up the score a little bit with the eyes of the committee. You just never know, so I don't blame him. No, I mean if you can score, you can score, and it's look at who the quarterback was. It wasn't Drew Aller; it was their backup, and he went down. And he could lead a touchdown drive. 
Devin Brown was not able to do that for Ohio State. So to James Franklin and Penn State's coaching staff's credit, that was good. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I don't blame him at all. I think, uh, you know, James Franklin, big year for him. And, you know, Penn State kind of needs these these marquee wins. Obviously, West Virginia isn't great this year and not a marquee win. But at the same time, you know, you, you want to look good as good as you can. And scoring points is the way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So last thing before we get into our picks, the SEC, 0-3 in their marquee out-of-conference games. So North Carolina beat South Carolina, Florida State beat LSU, and Utah hammered Florida with missing eight starters. Is the SEC in a little bit of trouble perception-wise? I know they have a big game here this weekend with Alabama and Texas, but perception-wise, that's not good for the almighty SEC, especially when the Pac-12 went 13-0 and for the first time. We've never had a Power 5 conference do that. And, of course, the conference that's being dissolved goes undefeated for the first time. Yeah, I think Bama and Georgia are still the class of the SEC. And until one of those teams starts falling off, I wouldn't get too worried about it if I was an SEC fan. Certainly not ideal how you want to open the season, but you know I, I don't think there's much room for panic yet. There's still plenty of opportunities for marquee wins. For example, South Carolina will play Clemson. We saw Bama, Texas. We'll get that this weekend. Uh, plenty of others along the way. So I, I wouldn't worry too much yet. But you know, as a college football fan, it's always nice to see a balance of power. And if we can get that, I, I certainly wouldn't be mad at it. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to infomercial myself. And But wait, there's one more thing. So before we get to the picks, the last thing I wanted to say was back with this transfer portal era. Is it safe to say that the best players from this weekend were transfers? When you look at Colorado with Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, and then you look at Florida State with Keon Coleman. Those are the, the names that come to mind to me when I'm thinking, all right, who won the weekend player-wise? And then you see these names and you're like, all right, check. That was a transfer player. That was a transfer player. So I just thought that that was interesting getting that edification of, hey, this really does work. And if you don't take advantage of it, Dabo, this is what's going to happen. And I think you can now prove that you can turn over a roster in one year's time. Yeah, I mean, Dabo took one player from the transfer portal last offseason. And, you know, he's he's been very anti-portal for a while. And I think it's coming back to bite them. We've seen some of the programs that, that have not embraced the portal start to do so. Michigan has retooled their offensive line seemingly year after year through the portal. Ohio State's now jumping in uh, to do the same. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a new age of college football and college sports in general. That's just how you have to build a team. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I think Clemson better get on the boat here or else they might sink real fast. Completely agree. So now it's time for picks. We did tell you we we're keeping our score this year. So as accountability holds, I was five and two and David was four and three last week. We're going to try to make those even better for you. So let's start in Baylor. Utah's going to town as a seven point favorite at Baylor. Baylor got upset last weekend, surprisingly. So do the Bears drop their first two games or does Utah split their first two? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about Utah in this one. Blake Shapin, Baylor's quarterback, out the next couple of weeks with an MCL injury. Um, so they're going to have a new quarterback under center. And, and I'm not really sold on Dave Aranda. I'm, I'm you know, I, I watch his teams. And, and again, it's that energy thing that we're talking about, kind of like what Clemson we saw last week. The, their energy is just a little off, it seems like. So I'm taking the Utes in this one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I love everything about Utah football. I love what Kyle Whittingham does. I love how his teams play. I've got Utah, too, covering on the road. Now we'll go to Boulder, stay out on the West Coast. 
the Buffaloes favored by three and a half against Nebraska. Who do you've got in that game? I know you hinted to it earlier. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Colorado in the points here. I think Nebraska scored 10 points against Minnesota. Uh, I don't think they'll score much. I don't think they'll score more than Shador Sanders. So I like the Buffaloes here and I like them to cover. Yeah, no, I'm with you in that game. The only hope Nebraska has in this matchup to slow down that Colorado offense is if Nebraska can kind of play ball control offense and just attack the interior line of Colorado. I think that's where their weakness is. Deion Sanders built this roster from the outside in, which means skill position players first, and then he moved over to the line play, which is going to be lagging. But again, I think that they have all the tools necessary, the weapons to win this ballgame and cover at home to start 2-0 and and move up in the polls yet again. So another West Coast matchup, we have Wisconsin with Luke Fickle is heading to the Palouse. They play Washington State. Now, when I did this this morning, the line was at six and a half. Now the line has dropped to six. David, who do you like in this matchup? This could be tricky for Luke Fickle and the Badgers. It seems kind of fishy to me. I like Wisconsin in this one. I like them outright. Um, it seems kind of fishy, though. I wonder why Washington State. I know, obviously, they get that you know three-point-ish bump for being at home, but still another three points there. I wonder why that is. I'm still taking the Badgers. Yeah, I'm with you. This This one was a little bit fishy. That is the right word. Because I, I like Washington State, and I think the Pac-12 is deep. I think they're probably the best top-to-bottom conference. I don't know about top-end talent, though. But as far as quality teams, I think they put the most forward. But I do like Wisconsin and the Badgers to go out there and get a gritty win on the road and to start the year 2-0. and And then if we look down back to the East Coast here, Notre Dame playing North Carolina State. That game is in North Carolina. Notre Dame favored by seven and a half. Sam Hartman's first really true road game. I know they played in Ireland. So what do you think of Hartman and the Irish on the road here as seven and a half point favorites? I like Notre Dame. I think they get it done. And I think Sam Hartman keeps on rolling. I'm right there with you. I, I love that addition by Marcus Freeman and the staff to bring Sam Hartman in from Wake Forest. I thought he was a tremendous talent there. He has a better roster and better playmakers around him in South Bend. I also think they go into North Carolina State and win and cover. Now we'll hop into the SEC as Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss travel to Tulane. They are everybody's sweetheart. They made the New Year's Six Bowl game as the group of five representative last year, defeated USC. Do they give the Rebels trouble? The Rebels no. are favored by seven. No, they don't. Ole Miss rolls. I'm right there with you. I was trying to build out the dramatics and theatrics there. I'm with you. I like the lane train to go. Now, this is an interesting matchup here next. Texas A&M is going to Miami. Miami's attendance at home is very, very poor. And I saw today that they're actually offering a special buy one, get one free for tickets. So if you buy a ticket to this game, you get a free ticket to the Georgia Tech game when they come to town later in the season. Do you like the Aggies? They're favored by four here on the road. I don't think it's really going to be much of a road environment if Miami's at that level of desperation to sell tickets and get people on the door. What do you think of what Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M can go in there and do? Yeah, that reminds me of Michigan a few years ago when they offered a free ticket with the purchase of a Coke product. Uh, so pretty similar vibes here. I think Texas A&M gets it done. I'm not sold on Miami. I'm not sold on Texas A&M. This is the battle of mid, and I think Texas A&M gets it done. That's pretty funny, the battle of mid. I agree, but I 
Now, see, we're keeping the same picks. This is where things get bad here. It's like on game day when they all pick the same team. That's just a recipe to go right on Twitter and say, we told you so. I'm going to take the Aggies also. I think they do go in and cover. Four is a little small. If that was at seven and a half, I may be inclined to take Miami there. I just haven't seen enough out of Mario Cristobal's program here in his first year and a half where I can feel comfortable picking the Hurricanes. If that was a tougher road environment, maybe I do, but no. So, David, let's see our last pick of the day here. Alabama hosting Texas. The Tide are seven-point favorites here. Do we run the table with the all the same picks, or do we find a disagreement here? Oh, man, this is a tough one. I'm taking Bama. I like Bama to cover here. Uh, I can see Texas giving them a game, and and even a, you know a cover wouldn't indicate that it's not a game, but you know I, I think Bama gets a tie. I still think this is the Nick Saban revenge year, and I think Alabama finds a way in the end to pull this one out and cover. Yeah, I do too. See, this seven-point game, if that was seven and a half, it really would tempt me to take Texas. And the problem is when you try to take Texas, Texas lets you down. So by this logic, I will take Nick Saban and Alabama as well. Because if I pick Texas, Alabama will win this game by 30. It is just how nature works. Because anytime you talk about Texas before October, they let you down. So Texas, this is your chance. Prove us all wrong. Go into Tuscaloosa and win this ballgame on the back of Quinn Ewers. Steve Sarkeesian has a great opportunity ahead of him against his former boss. We will see if they can get it done. It will be the game of the week. Alabama goes in, they host Texas, and they cover behind a decent game from Jalen Milrow, but Alabama wins this game on the line of scrimmage, and their defense is the difference. Yep, I can see it. Should be a fun one. Game of the week. Absolutely. And guys, Thank you again. As I mentioned off the top of the show, over 400,000 views we had on all of our coverage here in week one. We look to keep that going for you. Stay tuned to all of our social media outlets at Saturday Cadence on Twitter or X, whichever you call it, Instagram and TikTok, and then at T Silver Bulletin on all the same platforms. Guys, thank you so much for helping make this possible. We love bringing all this coverage to you. We love bringing the show to you. Stick with us. We've got more coverage to go huge game in Tuscaloosa and we will see you next week to break everything all down for you. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website, tsilverbulletin.com and following us on social media at tsilverbulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow those social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news, the latest around college football, and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show, and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show, we would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.